that it won't tear our marriages apart if we keep doing what we're doing, if what we're doing is unrighteous. We can't keep handling it, playing it like it's a game, like there's always going to be backup coming in from somewhere else. Our ship, it's going to come in one day, don't worry about it, but there's nowhere to park the ship in East Texas. We gotta we gotta change things. Money, even when we don't have enough of it, we somehow manage to fight over it. Even when we don't say a word, it's driving couples to divorce court. Money. It is loud. It is loud. Handle it righteously, and you'll always have enough. Handle it unbiblically, and it will destroy your life. Heavenly Father, I pray that you might free us from the bondage and the troubles and the traps with regard to money. God, teach us your ways regarding money so that we might walk in righteousness. Teach us the importance of recognizing that everything we have is because you allowed it. You blessed us with it. Free us from our incorrect thinking. And Lord, heal us from our unrighteous desire to be rich. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to talk to you about money, obviously. All right? 
I want to talk to you on this subject, this title, Right on the Money. God wants us to be right when it comes to money. So be finding in your Bibles 1 Timothy chapter 6, where we find the Apostle Paul in his letter to Timothy. We, we talked about him before. He's a young man. He's over in Ephesus, leading in a difficult position with an established church over there. In, in a city that's thriving, really. In a city that there was wealth, there was false teachers. He's having to combat all this. And now he turns his attention to contentment and to dishonest gain versus honest gain to how we use our money and to Timothy about a warning about falling into the traps of wealth and being rich and those kinds of desires. He urges him to avoid those pitfalls that so many people often experience with money. In fact, some people are in it right now and they've just not really identified the problem and the issue. People will really do just about anything for money if their heart's not right. Years ago, a Chicago radio station held a contest for $10,000. If you won that contest, you'd win $10,000 for somebody that had the craziest idea, craziest way of getting that money awarded to them. More than 6,000 people responded to the challenge, and the winner was an Indiana State University student, sophomore, named Jay Gwaltney. What he did was so absolutely crazy to win this $10,000. I mean, we would have never done this. But, but he did it, and he did it to the nth degree. What he did that was so crazy is he literally ate an 11-foot birch tree from the top to the end of the roots. He ate the entire thing. He dressed up in a tuxedo. He had brought out this nice formal dining table, and he had candles on it. He had a nice uh, rose vase with a rose on there, and he had pruning shears for utensils. And he began to trim this 11-foot tree one little piece at a time and chewed, chewed it down, swallowing every little bit of it. The only thing that he added for flavor was French dressing when he put all the leaves in a huge mixing bowl and had this leaf salad from this birch tree. That was all he did. Everything else was just as, it just is what it is. It was what it was, right? In all, it took him 18 hours to eat this tree, spread out over a period of three days. And his only complaint after it was over was an upset stomach. You can imagine that. People will do just about anything for money. But God wants us to be right on the money. Right about money and in the way that we view money so that we will handle money properly because we view it properly. Read with me 1 Timothy chapter 6. Find verses 9 and 10 or follow along on the screens behind me. Paul tells Timothy, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I want you to keep the passage open there. We're going to refer back to it momentarily. Here's the main theme, though, I want to get across. We're to esteem money righteously, biblically, in a godly manner. 
We're to esteem money how God wants us to esteem money and view it. Money, then, is a spiritual matter. And our view of it shows God where our heart truly is. It's a spiritual matter. And so what he says here in verse 9 tells us this, that first of all, if you're a note taker, number one, the desire to be rich leads to a fall. It's not it might. No, if you have the desire to be rich, it will lead to a fall. First of all, he tells us they fall into temptations. They put themselves into the position of being constantly tempted to sin. It's simply a trap to have this insatiable desire to be wealthy. Now, I'm not talking about the desire to have enough. I'm not talking about the desire to put money away for retirement. Those are things we're called to do. I'm talking about an insatiable desire that it, you just... Your focus is on money all the time. Your focus is on wealth and building great wealth for yourself. They fall into temptation, those who have that as part of their character. In Vietnam, soldiers had to walk through the jungles. And on some of these trails, the Viet Cong would come in and they would dig pits. They would take, usually, bamboo and they would make sharp, small spikes out of the bamboo and they would put them down into the bottom of these pits, very sharp, very sharp. They called them punji sticks. And, and they would have them pointed straight up, and then they would cover with some light branches and stuff over the top of this, this hole. And then as soldiers would pass by through there, they'd fall in, and they would stab themselves, sometimes literally to death, on these punji sticks, go right up their legs, and, and they would be trapped. They can't get out. If the other soldiers are with them, they pull them out. They're going to they're gonna have infection. Sometimes they would spread feces and urinate and anything they could do down in these holes on top of these sticks and, and just make it where if they don't die from the puncture wounds, they're going to die from infection. It was a trap. It was a trap that would kill them. The pits and snares are many for those who resolve to be rich. Verse 9 also tells us their lusts and their willingness to take foolish risks will increase. Their lust is going to increase. As their lust for things related to money, in fact it says different kinds of lust. Things, it won't just be about the money. It will be about things associated with money. Things only money can buy. Their, their lust will grow. And then their willingness to take foolish risks in order to have those things for which they desire will also grow. In other words, their boundaries will not be boundaries anymore. They're going to be willing to cross the line because their, their vision is not on the line, on the boundary that's been set for spiritual reasons. Their vision is out there somewhere for something else. So it increases. It's a downward spiral. And notice that it's not the money, but the desire for it that causes an individual to fall. If you have the desire to be rich, I really want you to hear this here. Because you're on the first step heading downward. You're on the first step toward destruction and toward a fall. Your time will start beginning to be consumed with how can I be rich? How can I make that kind of, we call it these days, serious money? 
Your time gets consumed with you looking for ways to make a lot of money all the time. And along the way, your lust grows. And before long, you'll forsake these boundaries we talked about because they're no longer going to help you get what you want and what you desire in your heart. So he said, they're going to fall into temptation, those who desire to be rich. Their lust for these things is going to grow. Boundaries will be no more. And then lastly, he says, they're going to drown in destruction and perdition. When these two words are used in combination together in Scripture, destruction usually refers to more of physical. They're going to destroy themselves physically. While perdition refers to the heart and the soul. The spirit of a man will be destroyed. Utter ruin of the body and the soul. Perdition refers to eternal damnation. This is serious stuff then. That's telling me a desire to be wealthy can lead me straight to hell. So it is serious. It's serious. They'll drown in destruction and perdition. In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, the authors James Patterson and Peter Kim revealed some shocking statistics about how far people in our country will go to get money. What would you be willing to do for $10 million. You say, well, Brother Christmas, I'd be willing to do a lot of things. Now, if you said $10,000, that'd be different. But $10 million? You know, $10 million, that's a lot of moolah, is how we say it in our house. 25% of those who responded said they would abandon their entire family to have that kind of money. 23% said they would be willing to be a prostitute for a week or longer. 16% said they would give up their American citizenship. 16% said they would leave their spouse. 10% would let a murderer go free by withholding their testimony against him. 7% would murder a complete stranger. 3% would place their children up for adoption if someone would give them that kind of money. You say, well, preacher, it's a lot of money. I mean... 10 million can buy a lot of things. 10 million can set you up, you know, no hassles in life, no financial woes, the house that you want, the cars that you need, and the workers that you need to take care of everything you have. You wouldn't have to do anything if you had $10 million. But your kids? Your kids? Your wife? So many in this world would love to be rich. And what's funny is it doesn't have to be an absorbent amount of money. Just last week I was uh, watching on the news, a lady accepted $500 to murder someone's husband. 500 bucks. See, it just depends on where you're at on the money. It depends on where your heart is. Because somebody with a destructive heart about money, with a, a person who can't handle it, a person who has a wrong attitude for it, 500 is a lot for some of them. Some people, 500 is more than they see in a month. I want us to understand there's nothing wrong with money. Maybe you, you're here and you have quite a bit of money, whether or not everyone else knows it. And so you're, you're thinking, I'm feeling guilty. I mean, we've worked real hard all of our lives. We've got this nest egg. We're enjoying it. We're pretty much set for the rest of our lives. What? What's going to happen with the rest of this message? Where is it going? Well, there's nothing wrong with money in and of itself. Money can't talk. 
We say money talks. It really can't. Okay? It can't talk. It can't work for you. It can't do anything. We all like money. We all need money, believe it or not, just to get by in life, to cover the bills, to cover medical expenses, to pay our home mortgages. We have to have a roof over our heads. We have to have food on the table. We have, a, have to have a way to get around to and from work. We have to feed and clothe our entire families. Money's not in and of itself wrong. Neither is wealth a sin. There are many in the world who have become rich without even lusting after wealth. Some became rich on an idea. They weren't even really seeking money. Some just stumbled on an idea and it happened to flourish like Velcro. Velcro was invented in 1941 by Swiss electrical engineer named George de Mestrel. He got the idea after he went for a walk after work through the woods. And when he got home, he had all these cockaburs stuck to his clothes. And they were, he, his dog went with him, and he had to pull all those cockaburs out of the dog. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, you don't have to go to Switzerland for that, do you? And so he got to thinking about that and looking at that, and he got an idea. Huh, if I could just turn this into a product so things would stick together. And when he finally got the patent 14 years later in 1955, his company was one of the most major profitable corporations around. Just because someone's wealthy doesn't mean they have an unrighteous view of money. Some people inherit it. Some people stumble on a great idea and it flourishes for them. But if it's your resolve to be rich and you fail to esteem money righteously, what you do for that money will lead you to a fall because your heart and desire is in the wrong place. Number two, note takers, the love of money will cause you to stray. He says in verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Whatever has your eyes will eventually have your heart. Matthew 6, 24 Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, because you cannot serve both God and money. Money can be your master, or God can be your master, but never both. Now look with me in 1 Timothy 6 at verses 11 and 12. He says, but you, O man of God. Now, he's really identified Timothy, hasn't he? He didn't say, now you, you scoundrel. No, he said, you, O man of God. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So what do I do? What do I do? Because all I've been thinking about is earning more and more money. All I've been thinking about is I want to retire at 40. I mean, what, what do I do? What, what am I going to do? Well, simply here, I, I love it when the text just, we just preach the text, right? Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Do verse 11. 
Do verse 12. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Those things pertaining to the faith. Pursue those things. We could say it like Jesus said it. Pursue the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you as well. As Christians, we're to think differently about money than the world thinks about money. To many people, money means security. Proverbs 18.11 says, The wealth of the rich is their strong city. In their imagination, it's like a high wall that no one is able to climb, to scale. The wealth of the rich is their strong city. You see, they had strong cities and they had weak cities. If you were in the weak city and the enemy was coming, you fled to the strong city. The strong city had high walls. The strong city had military uh, was, was a military station. It had protection. It had more people. You fled there for protection. He said the wealth of the rich is that city for them. Their money is that city. In their imagination. What's in your imagination? See, wealth is not our security. God is our security. He's Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. The God who shall provide. And we're going to focus more on this next week, maybe a a third week. I'm not sure. Just go as the Lord leads. But let me give you two things you can do that will help you to esteem money righteously, lest you look at money as your security. The first thing I would tell you is give God His part first. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, When we honor Him with the first fruits of our possessions, uh, with the first fruit, or excuse me, with all of our possession, with the first fruits of all our increase, the, the first fruits was the first part of what was coming in. The first part was considered to be a portion equal to 10%. We know that. It's called the tithe. So he says, when we honor him with our possession and, and that we honor him with the first fruits of our increase, that's what we're to do. Then he says, our barns will be filled with plenty. In Malachi, he says he will protect what we have from the devourer. Our money is not a strong city for us. Our God is that protector. Give to God first his part. Secondly, give generously to those in need. Proverbs 22 verse 9 says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Do you know what giving generously does for us? Giving generously frees us from being bound or becoming bound to the things that God has given us. It frees us and changes our thinking from always having to be wealthy, always having to have more, never being content. That's what giving generously does. The first person to reach the status of billionaire was a man who knew how to set goals. He knew how to go after those goals. He knew how to follow through with those goals. And at the age of 23, he became a millionaire. By the age of 50, he was the first billionaire. Every decision, every attitude and relationship that he had was tailored to create his personal power, his empire, his wealth. 
But just three years after becoming a billionaire, at the young age of 53, he became ill. His entire body was racked with pain, and he lost all the hair on his head. In complete agony, he laid there in a hospital bed. In complete agony, moaning and groaning, the world's only billionaire at the time could buy anything he wanted, but he could not even eat solid food. All he could do was drink some milk and eat some crackers. An associate wrote, He could not sleep and he could not smile. Nothing in life meant anything to him at that point. His personal, highly skilled physicians predicted he would die within the year. But one morning he woke up with a vague remembrance of a dream that he had just had the night before. He had dreamed about passing away and not being able to take any of his possessions with him in the afterlife. None of his successes would go along with him. When he died, the man who virtually controlled the entire business of the world suddenly realized he had no control over his own personal business, even his own personal life. He called his attorneys, his accountants, and his managers and announced that he wanted to do something different with his money. He wanted to channel his money and his assets to hospitals, to research, and to mission work. And on that day, John D. Rockefeller established what we know to be the Rockefeller Foundation, which eventually led to the discovery of penicillin and cures for current strains of malaria, tuberculosis, and diphtheria. The list of the discoveries that have come as a result of the giving of that foundation are enormous. And what's amazing is that the moment Rockefeller began to give back generously... His body's chemistry changed so significantly that he began to get healthier again. And instead of dying at the age of 53, Rockefeller lived to the age of 98 years old. Money can affect us positively. Having a generous heart, giving to the Lord in thankfulness and with a cheerful heart can help us to increase spiritually beyond measure being generous and having a righteous view of money so that it doesn't grip us, affects us even health-wise. It affects our mind. And like we've said so often, whenever we walk in sin against God and walk in unrighteousness and have desires of the flesh that we're pursuing, we do open the door for Satan to come in and destruct and destroy and pull us away and lead us away from the Lord. So is money loud? Is money loud in the home? It is when you don't have enough and it is when you have too much. You bet it can be. Has money destroyed people? Yes. Has money led people to divorce? Yeah, they never get on the same page. They can't communicate about it. One wants to communicate, the other doesn't. One's blamed and in trouble, the other one's not doing enough, not doing their fair share, and the noise just rings on and on. When people lay there at night, all they can think about is how are we going to make it? How, how are we going to do better? Because we're making more than we've ever made, perhaps, but we're loving each other less than we've ever loved. Money is loud. 
We need to be right on the money. Be right on the money by being righteous about money. Maybe you're in a pit right now because of an unhealthy view of money or an unbiblical handling of money and it's causing that stress and that loudness and that conflict and that worry in your life. Imagine what would happen if you began to be faithful to God and esteemed His provision for your life biblically and righteously. If you did that and you put Him first in your view of money and in your handling of it, He says He would open up the floodgates of heaven and He would destroy the devourer and protect you from Him. Imagine the peace. If as a husband and wife you would agree to stop all the noise about money and look to the Word of God and begin to say, that we will do. This we will do. This is how we will think from now on. And listen, your kids will spend your money for you. And so will your grandkids. A little boy went up to his grandpa during the greeting time at church. said, Papa? He said, yeah. Johnny, what's going on? Good to see you here this morning. He said, can you croak like a frog? He said, what? Croak like a frog. Because the other night I heard Mama say, when Papa croaks, She's taking us to Disneyland. (laughs) Your own kids will spend your money. Your grandkids will spend your money, won't they? They sure will. Let the Lord spend your money. Let the Lord guide you. There's the invitation. The invitation isn't really about money, to be honest with you. The invitation is about the Lord and your life. The invitation, as always, is about He's first, I'm last. Him before me. Are you willing to put Jesus before yourself? If you've not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to say enough? All the loudness in my life, it doesn't have anything to do with money. It's about just life. I'm doing it on my own, and I've not trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm ready to make Him Lord of my life. That's really where it all lies. Oh